dog out there today, and uh, don't worry about it. It's going to melt pretty soon, so don't, you don't have to worry about that. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. I preach a message being witnesses of salvation to the ends of the earth. Witnesses of salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 50, Isaiah 45, we're going to look at verses 21 through 24, 21 through 24. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else, uh, there is no God else beside me a just God, and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth, in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every knee in this world shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. My text is verse 22. Look unto me, and be saved, all the ends of the earth. As Brother Hall said today, in the time of testimony, God has his hands stretched out, saying, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this message. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would see the message of salvation. And God, we would be encouraged by what that salvation means to us and what it can mean to others. God, I pray that you would store our hearts to be the witnesses that we ought to be of that great message. And realize, God, that we have a God that wants to maintain us uh, with his power. He wants to maintain us with his presence as we give that message to the world. Lord, I pray that you just speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you would use this message, that you would speak to my heart, and God, that you would use me, and Lord, that you would empower me for this message that you would have for us today. I pray these things in your name. Amen. God has a desire to save the entire world, and that desire didn't begin with Christ and his apostles. That came from, that, that desire began from the very beginning of the world. We see that because here in Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament uh, tells us that God has his hands, hands stretched out saying, look unto me, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. We see that uh, God was not just the God of the Jews. He was a God of all men everywhere. Isaiah 56 he wanted to be the God of all men everywhere. He invites the stranger, the stranger who was not a Jew at the time, the Gentiles. In Isaiah 56, verse 6, he says, And the sons of the stranger, that would be us, Gentiles, that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt sacrifices and their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. 
For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. God didn't want to be uh, uh, the God of just Israel. He wanted to be God of the whole world. But he picked Israel to be his witnesses to the rest of the world. Turn with me to Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11. Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11. It says here in Isaiah 43, verse 10, you are my witness. He's talking to Israel. He says, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And ye may know him, that ye may know him and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. It was the plan of God always that the world would be reached through him, that the world would come to him, that he would save the world. Uh, in Psalm 68, 31, it says, Princes shall come forth out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hand to God. It's always been the plan of God that the world be saved through him. Uh, that is a message of salvation that he called out in Isaiah 45. And uh, that Israel was appointed, was chosen to uh, be a witness of. But we know that they failed. They fell into the same idolatry of the rest of the world. And then when they were finally cured of that through several captivities, they still entered into a type of formal, uh, for, formalism and uh, was never uh, very good at being good witnesses to the rest of the world. Although there were some proselytes that uh, were saved uh, or, or that, that, that were basically... Uh, uh, one, to Judaism. I don't know if they were really saved, but they were saved to that religion. But uh, we don't see, really see uh, much accomplished. But it was the plan of God that the whole world would hear that message of salvation. He said that, be, that all the ends of the world, earth be saved. But the question is, be saved from what? Be saved from our sins, from the penalty of sin, of our sins. Be saved from the wrath of God against our sins. Be saved that we may be reconciled to God having been separated by our sins. And be saved from the bondage of sin. In Romans chapter 3, 23, and I know many of us know these verses, but there may be someone who, here who has not heard these verses. But in Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what God wants to save the world from, their own sins. The Bible says that uh, it all started in the book of Genesis. God said to Adam and Eve, do not eat of that tree, for the day that thou eatest of that tree, thou shalt surely die. That's the penalty of death that God has saved us from. You may say, well, Adam and Eve, they lived several years afterwards. Well, it wasn't a, just a spiritual, physical death he was talking about, although that took place after several years. But they also experienced a spiritual death. He said, the day that thou eatest thereof of this tree, thou shalt surely die. What does that mean? Death is basically separation. When someone dies physically, their soul is separated from their body. When someone is separated from God spiritually, they're separ that's separation as well. It's separated from separation from God. Now, Adam and Eve had a wonderful relationship with God. That was a plan of God for not only Adam and Eve, but for the whole world that would come from Adam and Eve. But we know what happened. They disobeyed God. They ate of that fruit. And the Bible says that although they had experienced such 
wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, um, um, time with God in the presence of God, fellowshipping with God. They walked in the cool of the day, the Bible says, with God. But that day, the day that they ate of that fruit, the Bible says that their eyes were opened in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Genesis, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day to have fellowship with him once again. And Adam and his wife, for the first time ever, hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. Because, why? Because sin has a way of separating us from God. Because we know in our heart, in, our, in, in the deep crevices of our heart, that God hates sin. They hid from the wrath of God. They hid from the penalty of death. They hid from God. And the Bible says in verse 9, that the saddest words that are in the Bible, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto them, where art thou? For the first time, God had to say to Adam, where art thou? Why? Because from that time on, Adam and his race, including us, have hid from God. We're separated from God because of our sin. And many times it's because we want to sin. All times it's because we want to sin more than we want God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3. Not only says that there is none righteous, no not one. It says in verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Oh, if all would seek after God, this church building would be filled all the way to the back, all the way up, up to the top. But we know mankind does not seek after God. They're seeking after many things today. Uh, some of them are staying home to watch the, the international baseball uh, championship that's going on around the world. Uh, I know my sons were watching it yesterday. More, yesterday. Uh, all, all kinds of things that they're doing today because they know that they have sin that separates them from God, and they hide from God. That's what God came to save us from. And came to save us from his wrath. But God, as we heard today, loves us. Amen. John 3.16, for God, for thou, uh, John 3.16, I'm thinking in Spanish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved this world. This wicked world that we heard about today, that John Hall talk, talked about. And we get so angry about, and it is, it should make us angry. The sin of this world should make us angry. But the Bible says we should still love the sinner because God so loved the sinners of this world, including you and me, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of not just the Jews, not just Americans, but the whole world. In 1 John 2, 2, if you want to turn there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world world. He died not just for Americans. He died not just for those in Chesterton and Porter County and Indiana. He died for the sins of the whole world. 
And he was a propitiation for their sins, and I'll explain that in a minute. But it also says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. What does that word propitiation mean? Well, it's a Greek word that means, and many in, the, in, in those days uh, knew what that word meant, even in the pagan world. It means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. And in so doing, changes God's wrath towards us into favor. That's what Jesus Christ the Lamb was. He was our sacrifice that bore God's wrath all the way to the end. And in so doing, he changed God's wrath towards us into favor. Oh, that should be such a blessing to us. That should excite the message that is presented to the world should excite us for our own selves. The reason why God forgives our sins is because he has already poured out his wrath upon our sin when he poured out his wrath on his own son, Jesus Christ, for, our, for the love of us. What amazing story. What amazing message. You know, he bore our sins. You know, Jesus Christ, as God, hates our sin just as much as God does because he is God. Our sin to him is disgusting. Many times we don't see it, but we ought to see it as disgusting. One of the, to be an, for the best analogy I can come up, what's disgusting for us? Animal dung, amen? There's, or our own. There's nothing as disgusting as that. But when Jesus took upon your, your sins and our sins, the Bible says they're like filthy rags. Our, our best is like filthy rags, the Bible says. That sin is so disgusting to God. It would be like plunging, when he took our sins upon him, it would be taking, like plunging our hands into the muck and mire of animal dung. That's how it was for Jesus Christ to take our sins. Yet he was willing to do that. And as he had, the Bible says, turn with me, where the Bible talks about that Lamb of God. In Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, when he bore our wicked sin, the sin with which it was put on here on the screen, our sins, many of us would be running out the doors. That disgusting sin was placed upon our Lord and Savior. He became our sin for us. He experienced all the guilt and disgust we have with ourselves when we sin. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 3, he, uh, and verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet he did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. It was God that poured out his wrath upon his sin, that, that had his sin placed upon his, our sin on, on his son. And his son was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus Christ was bruised. That word bruised in the, Greek, in the Hebrew means to be torn to pieces, means to be, uh, it's like uh, you've seen uh, uh, hamburger, how it's ground into nothing. That, that's what happened to Jesus. Torn to pieces, his flesh, 
And it was for our iniquities. It was for your iniquities. The Bible says that he was wounded for your transgression and my transgression. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible says God laid on him that vile iniquity upon us all. That disgusting, wicked sin. The disgusting, wicked sin that, that Brother John talked about, that, that we see around us and we read in the papers and we think, how awful is our country? All those wicked sins were placed upon God's son. And he bore that, not just for a moment. It'd be something to bear that sin as being the holy God and having those disgusting sins placed upon him. If it was just for a moment, it would be Bad enough, yet he bore the guilt of millions of sins. Not just for a moment. For a moment it would cause great anguish of soul. To face the deep and furious wrath of an infinite God, even for an instant, would cause a most profound fear. But Jesus' suffering was not only a minute or two or ten. When would it end? How could there be more weight of sin, yet more wrath of God? Hour after hour, there on the cross, he carried our sins. The dark weight of sin, the deep wrath of God poured over Jesus in wave after wave. Till he at last cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why must his suffering go on so long? Why have you turned your face from me? Oh, God, my God. The Bible says he was smitten of God. God, my God, will you ever bring it to end? And finally, when it was all over, he said, it is finished. I think he was relieved that it was finished. Because he had accomplished what he went there for. To bear our, God's wrath and our sin. And because of that, we have forgiveness of sin. We deserve to die, but he died for us. We deserve to bear God's wrath, but he did it for us. We deserve to be, we have been separated from God, but Jesus was separated from his God, from his Father, that we might be reconciled to God. We are in the bondage of sin, but his sins, his blood, I mean, pays for our sins, redeems us from bondage. Oh, how that wonderful message of salvation should stir our souls. But there are so many that have not heard. Oh, we've been stirred by that message year after year. I've had the pleasure to hear that message in this church for years. But believe it or not, there are so many people that still have not heard. But it's still the will of God that the whole world Hear that wonderful message of salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10 that you and I can be saved. We don't have to go to a pilgrimage. We don't have to light candles. We don't have to go to church every day. All we have to do is repent and believe. Amen. This is Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God has made it so simple. And it's because Jesus has done it all. Our sins were already judged. 
there should be no reason why, unless we reject Christ, that we should have to bear the wrath of God. But just as Brother Hall said, but if we refuse to believe, the wrath of God will bite upon us. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just as God said, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, uh, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. That call is still given to all the world. But it says how, in verse 14, then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's common sense, isn't it? How is the rest of the world that God loves, for which God was a propitiation, for which he bore the wrath of this world, how shall they be saved if they, can't, if they haven't believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? You may think, obviously, everyone has heard the gospel. Well, don't think like an American, and maybe here everyone has. And I'm sure there are some people that still haven't here in America, but even more Around the world, there are people that have never heard the gospel. Think in the Muslim world, they have heard the gospel. You think in many of those countries, in, in, in villages, in Hindu villages in India, that they've heard the gospel? Do you think the, in the Borneo, in the jungles of New Guinea, that they have heard the gospel? My prayer card that I give out says, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. And there are still those who have not heard, and there are those to which the, even though it seems incredible, there are those to which it has not been spoken of. And that's our job, and that's my second point, to be the witnesses to the ends of the earth. We have a message of salvation to the ends of the earth and we have a mandate to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Turn with me please to Isaiah 53. Back talking about that lamb of God that was slain. Isaiah 53 says about that lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. It says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Then we can drop down to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That means it was the will of God that he be bruised. It was the only way that we could be forgiven, that the wrath of God be poured upon him, that he took our sins and bore them. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, his son's soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant, that lamb, justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Oh, he hath borne the iniquities, but he did it so that he might see his seed. What's that talking about, seeing his seed? Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Why, remember why Jesus died? Why would he go through that awful punishment 
The Bible says in Hebrew, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I hope that's what I said. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the shame of having that awful, wicked, disgusting sin, carrying it for us. The Bible says he did all that for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? The joy was that seed that's spoken of in Isaiah. Children of God, adopted and regenerated because of Christ's sacrifice. From the time of his death till now, the millions that have been saved, someone has said that's the reward of his suffering. That people from every tongue, tribe, and nation would be saved throughout the whole world. That is the reward of his suffering. That is the joy that we ought to want to give God today. Amen? And how do we do that? By the mandate to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16 when Jesus rose from the dead and was about to ascend. He left these words, this mandate with the church. Matthew chapter 15 Verse 16, it's well known by all of us. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God wants every creature, every person in all the world to hear the gospel. But how shall they hear if there be not a preacher? The Bible also says in Luke chapter 24 that we ought to be witnesses. That's why he died. That was the purpose for his death. It says, thus it was written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. He said, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Oh, how should they hear if they're not preachers willing to go to all the world? And preach the gospel. That's why he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and ye shall be witness to, to me. He says, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It's God's will, it's his mandate to the church that we be witnesses to our Jerusalem could say that would be Chesterton. To Judea, that would be the cities around us. Even Jesus said, let us go to the next towns that I may preach, the God, preach there also. Amen. I believe God, we're responsible as a church to reach Laporte. Laporte, right? To reach Gary. To reach the places around us. To make sure that they hear the gospel as well as Chesterton. That this county... Here's the gospel. Then we're responsible for the Samaria, which could be like the United States, what's a little bit further. And then even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see the church did that. Turn with me now. For a few years, uh, they were just reaching the people of Jerusalem. The Bible says that they filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. And that was a good thing. But they stayed right there. 
until they saw 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. Some people said that there were as many as 25,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. But for years, they were just preaching in their Jerusalem. But then God had to bring a persecution to get them to leave Jerusalem. We see in Acts 8.1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, remember that the pastoral leadership stayed in Jerusalem. It was the membership that went out uh, scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What did these members of this church do? They became witnesses. You know, preaching isn't just for the pastors, amen? Preaching is for all of us. We're all supposed to be witnesses. And they understood that, apparently, because the Bible says in verse 4, and when they, were, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They went preaching the word. The Bible says that the word of God was preached in their Judea. The Bible says in verse 35, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron, there along the coast of the Mediterranean, saw him and turned to the Lord through the preaching of the word of God. The Bible says in Joppa, which was another city there in Judea along the coast, it says, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. They started obeying the Great Commission. They weren't just concerned about their Jerusalem. They went to Judea. And then they even went to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. We see Philip running for his life from the persecution, but he can't keep what he has inside. That great message of salvation that God bore our sins and forgave us of our sins, pouring out his wrath upon his son that we might have forgiveness. That glorious message that I just preached about, he was in his heart and he had to make sure others heard as well. And that's how we should feel as well, amen? Just like John Hall was saying. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that when he came to Samaria, he couldn't hold that. He was just running from persecution, but he couldn't hold inside what he had there. And the Bible says in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And good things happened. The Bible says in verse 8, there was joy in that city. Verse 12, and when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. And pretty soon in Judea and Samaria, churches were started. That's the, uh, that's the natural uh, result of people getting saved, it says in verse 31. And then had the churches rest throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. People got saved in uh, their Judea, in Judea, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, then in Samaria. And then uh, the Bible says that some even went to the othermost parts of the earth. The Bible says in verse 11, uh, 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 chapter 11, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11. Go to uh, verse 19. And now they that were scattered abroad, these are the people that are running from persecution, uh, upon the uh, persecution that rose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice, that's Lebanon today, and Cyprus, that's in the Mediterranean Sea, and Antioch, which was in Syria, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them that were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, that's in Africa, which they, when they had come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And a church was formed there in Antioch. So, uh, and hearing that there was a church formed there, uh, in verse 22, the tidings of these saints came into the ears of the church that was in Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go into Antioch, and a church was established there. That's the mandate of this church 
Fairhaven Baptist Church. Oh, yes, that we reached Chesterton. But then we reached this Judea around us, the county around us. Amen. Wouldn't that be great if some churches were started right in this county or in LaPorte County and Lake County from this church right here. Amen. That would be a great blessing. You know, I think we could reach LaPorte a lot better if there was a church there. Amen. Established by somebody out of this church and running a bus route. I'm glad we're running a bus route. How much more could be accomplished? Amen. In other parts. I, I, I think that happened in Chicago. We sent somebody to Chicago. Amen. To evangelize that area, South Chicago. And now there's a church there. And now they're reaching their Jerusalem. But also reaching out. They had their missions program. They're also reaching out. That's, how, that's what took... This, this was once a product of mission work. A man in, uh, named Pastor Schroeder in Illinois. He had a burden for Chesterton. And he had someone out of the church that went to Bible college. Dr. Roger Vogelin. And he came here. And look at this great church that was established. That's now reaching out, doing the same thing. That's what missions is all about. Reaching to Judea, then to Samaria. Think of uh, Steve Boots. Amen. Called out of here. Went to evangelize a part of a city in Virginia. And now there's a church established there. I think of uh, Pat Gordon and Greta Gordon raised in this church. Went, Went to the Bible college here. And then God called him to Zambia to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what missions is all about. That's the mandate given to Frave and Baptist Church. Well, that's what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 13. He's in Antioch. And that's a church that was a missions church, and now it's an independent church. And they have their pastoral leadership. And they're ministering, the Bible says in verse 2, to the Lord and fast and the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. What is our, what is our response to that? Well, before you say that's a task too much for us. Yes, God, he uh, has a message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And he has a mandate that we witness to the ends of the earth. But he also wants to maintain his presence with us to the ends of the earth. You may say, well, you know, I, I don't think I could be a missionary. I don't think I could go and start a church on my own. And, well, you, of course, you have to be called. And, of course, you have to be uh, approved by the church like we saw in, uh, on Thursday. But I believe there's a lot more that could be done. Some people would listen to the call of God. I'm sure God wants this church to see more churches started in other parts of their Judea, other parts of their Samaria, and on to the uttermost parts of the earth. I know it was hard for me when God was calling me, and I said, I can't do it. I remember going forward and saying to God, and when I came to the altar in the missions conference and gave myself to the Lord, I said, I quoted the scripture to him, faithful is God, faithful is he that has called you and also will do it. God, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it. I told my past, I think God's made a mistake, but I think he's called me to the mission field. But I had that idea that I, I, I can't do that, but then I realized God's grace is sufficient for me, amen? And God will maintain his presence to those that go to the end of the earth. He says, I will be with you, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the world. The end of the world. He said that in Matthew 28. He said in Matthew 24 that, that you tarry, and I will give you power from on high. 
He said in Acts 1, you shall be witnesses after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. We can be the witnesses we ought to be. So what should we do as a church member? Number one is pray, and we're going to finish with this. Pray. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, quickly, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, said the missionary to the church of Thessalonica, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Pray that the word of God may have free course. I know that people are praying for us in Mexico City. Man, how God's blessed. I can't use it. I can't. I have to finish my prayer letter. Why is God blessing so much? I wonder what is the reason why God has blessed. We're having a ladies baptized today. A psychologist, a psychiatrist in, 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 that works in the police department. She's going to get baptized today. Why does God bless? Because people are praying that the word of God may have free course. And that they he may be delivered from unreasonable wicked men. That's happened several times to my wife and to me. I'm not going to go into the details. And for all men have not the faith. Pray for your missionaries. Give to your missionaries. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He's already, notice it's always commandments given to churches. And members of the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says in verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other man's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, when the faith of the church is increased, that ye shall be enlar- that we, we missionaries, shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. What does that mean, enlarged by you? Given the funds that is needed to be able to go out and do more, be given what is uh, to, to be equipped, to be enlarged. To be able to go and do, be able to do more, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast another man's line of things made ready to our hand. And obviously the church in Phil, the Philippian church understood that. We're not going to look at it. But the Bible says that once and again, uh, Paul received uh, uh, funds and, and goods for his necessities. It's praying, it's uh, giving, but it's also going We'll finish uh, just reading um, Isaiah 68, 6 verse 8. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Go back to where we started in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. He said, who shall go for us? And we know what he said. Here am I, Lord. Send me. The harvest truly is plenteous. Oh, it's white on the harvest. It's white. Go to a place like Mexico City. It's white. Go to other countries. It's white. We say, nobody wants to get saved here. Well, why don't, you know, if God's calling you, why don't you go to where it is white, where people can be saved? Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous. It's great. The labors are few. You know, in 1950, 70 years ago, there were 4 billion people on this planet. 4 billion people. You know how many were leaving the shores of this country? And that's including Catholics and everyone, missionaries. 100,000. Today, we have 8 million people, twice as many. So you're thinking there must be 200,000 leaving the shores of this country to go preach the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. No, it's only 29,000. One-third to reach twice as many. What's the problem? Is the problem with God? No. The harvest is white. He still wants to see people saved. We just need to be willing to go. We need to be willing to go. Moravian community from Heron Hut.
went to see two lads go off to the West Indies to reach this 3,000 slaves on the islands there. But they weren't permitted to come there by the proprietors of those, proprietors of those islands. So they decided, themselves, decided to sell themselves as slaves to reach the slaves of the West Indies. The Moravian community from Heron Hut came to see the lads off who would never return again having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slavery community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God. Family members were emotional, weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The housings had been cast off and were curled up on the pier, and the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened. The young men linked arms, raised their hands and shouted across the spreading gap, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Oh, that the lamb that was slain, that was preached about today, that took your wrath and my, took God's wrath for your sins and mine, oh, that he receive a reward for that awful suffering. May be willing, may we be willing to reach the millions that are in this world 